Basil was part of the original diet given to men. The Bible says, and God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth. Genesis 1.29 Basil is also known as St. Joseph's uh, wort, is an herb belonging to the mint family. I didn't know that until I researched it recently. St. Joseph, sorry, yeah. So its origin, it's thought to have had its origins in India. This plant has been cultivated in India and the Middle East since ancient times and was known to the Greeks and the Romans. So it's been in human use for a long time. The benefits of basil, the herb may have anti-inflammatory qualities. Um, basil is a potent antibacterial. It's uh, containing just 22 calories per 100 grams. Basil is nutrient heavy and caloric uh, light or calorie light. Um, basil may contain compounds that fight the effects of aging. That's a pretty good one, isn't it? I think we could all do with that. The medicinal benefits. Basil is commonly used orally for stomach problems such as spasms, loss of appetite, intestinal gas, diarrhea and constipation. But there is limited scientific research to support these and other medicinal uses of basil. Basil contains many chemicals. These chemicals might kill bacteria and fungi. Chemicals in basil might reduce symptoms in the gastrointestinal tract. Now I got this from a medical website, so they're being very cautious in what they say because of not having the scientific back backing, but there are many, I guess, anecdotal evidences that it works. Um, they also had on this website that I read about it uh, some cautions about using basil as medicine. The above ground parts of basil and basil oil are possibly unsafe when taken by mouth as a medicine long term. These contain estragol, a chemical that might increase the risk of getting liver cancer. Bleeding disorders. Basil oils and extracts might slow blood clotting and increase bleeding. In theory, basil oils and extracts might make bleeding disorders worse. Surgery. Basil oils and extracts might slow blood clotting. In theory, basil oils or extracts might increase, oh, I'm reading basically the same thing, but might increase the risk for bleeding during surgical procedures. Stop using basil at least two weeks before a scheduled surgery. So what are the common uses for basil? Pesto probably one of the most common sauces and soups salads and sandwiches breads and pastas and drinks now you might not have thought about it for drinks I'm going to share a recipe with you that is really amazing for a drink so how do we get started in the spirit of prophecy this quote I use it often because it tells us that we in the cultivation of the soil the thoughtful worker will find that treasures little dreamed of are opening up before him no one can succeed in agricultural gardening without attention to the laws involved. The special needs of every variety of plant must be studied. Different varieties require different soil and cultivation, and compliance with the laws governing each is the condition of success. The economic advantages to growing sweet basil. The seed is one of the cheapest seeds you can buy. It's really, really cheap. It's so small, you, you, you pay a few dollars and you get a huge bag full of seed, thousands and thousands of seed. It can be grown in a very small area. It provides consistent and even income throughout the season, and it's an excellent door opener to sell the other products that you are growing. 
seed type. It's called a uh, Osimum basilicum. Um, there's over, well, the type that I'm talking about, there's actually, I believe there's over a hundred different varieties, but I'm specifically talking about the sweet basil. Um, Italian basil is very similar. Um, and so it's a herb that is an annual, but it can be grown as a perennial. And if any of you have been to tropical countries, and you've seen basil growing there, they look like little bushes with trunks like a tree on them. So they, they will just keep growing um, year round. Uh, Genovese basil is the less likely to bolt um, if you're wanting it to last long. But I will share with you how to grow it in a way that you can stop it from, from bolting and you can keep harvesting it and harvesting it and harvesting it and you don't have to let it go to seed. Um, the Johnny's Selected Seeds uh, website has an excellent herb library with comparison charts for all the different types of uh, basil and what their um, pros and cons are. So I would recommend going to that website. Um, what we use as we uh, start growing is we use a germination chamber. Now what is a germination chamber? If you get a packet of seeds and you look at your packet of seeds, it will have uh, a percentage of uh, germination. It will have a, well it might not say the optimal um, germination temperature, but you can find those charts online that have the optimum germination temperature. What you do with a germination chamber is you can put the, the uh, seeded trays in the germination chamber and, and, and adjust the temperature so it's exactly at the ultimate germination uh, temperature. I, I do this because we're starting them. In fact, when I get back, uh, probably February, I'm going to start my basil seed. And it's cold. It won't germinate um, in the cold. But by putting it in a germination chamber, it will germinate and I can pull it out. And even though it's colder outside, it will continue to grow slowly. Um, so what I've done is taken an old freezer, I added some additional shelving into it so I can maximize the space. You can't really see it, but under the bottom shelf there's a little uh, space heater, a little black box space heater. And um, it, I don't know if you can see, maybe you can't see it in there, but I just put a little thermometer that, that re reads the temperature and I just adjust the dial on the uh, heater and just keep checking on it until I get it to that right temperature. And so for basil, I'm, I can't remember what the ultimate um, temperature is, but it's probably 70 or 75, yes. Now this is, the, this is the thing that you have to be very careful of. I check it three times a day. If I don't check it three times, if I check it two times, I might come there and they've come out of the soil and the sooner seeds come up, they're looking for light and they're reaching for light. And if it's not there, they just grow tall and spindly. You'll pull them out and they'll just flop over and they'll be you've wasted them. So, um, so basically um, it's just to get the seed to germinate and as soon as I see some heads breaking out of the soil I pull them out immediately. Um, but it, in, it speeds up the germination time immensely because you think about during the day is the warm period and during the night is the cold period and in the cooler part of the year the majority of the, the, the day is cold the small part is warm, so it just takes so much longer to get them germinate by putting them in there. Um, I'm, from memory, I think the basil is about five days. Uh, some seeds that we put in there are three days. 
um, but I think basil is one of them that's a little bit longer. Um, so it's that you can keep it at that ideal temperature day and night until it germinates. I water it before I put it in there and because the door's closed yeah. there's no loss of moisture and so you don't have to water it again. Um, so I just plant the seed and what I will say about planting the seed is that the seed is really really tiny so when I put my soil out on the on the uh, cells there um, I can't and I've got bad eyesight so when I'm um, trying to see the the seed um, I can't see one seed it's just a blur to me so when I pull out the seed I'll put a big pile on my hand you know and I'll pick it up and and so I'll grab a small cluster of seeds and then I try to sprinkle them and watch them dropping and um, I'm okay with four or five dropping in each cell that's fine in fact I prefer that than just one because sometimes they don't all come up and so I'll put that in each each cell and the general rule of thumb for seed when you plant it is no deeper than three times the, the diam or the width or the diameter of the seed. So you don't want it too deep. Um, so I use my finger or I've got a dibble that I use sometimes, but you just dimp, you know, press the soil down a little bit and then I just pinch the soil over top, you know, each cell. And um, so we can, we can put inside of the refrigerator there about uh, 2,000 cells worth of um, plants and just in that little... Uh, thing. So you can buy a um, temperature regulated um, controller where it plugs into a 110 and it plugs into your heater and then it's got a dial on it that you can just set the temperature or a digital uh, reading. And I think last time I bought one and then it, it lasted for a few years and then it, it packed up. But they were about $80. So if you want to spend that kind of money, you can dial it in exactly. And what it does is that the, it's got a temperature sensor. As soon as it gets to the right temperature, it turns off the heater. And then as it drops below it, it turns it back on. And then you don't have to keep going back and adjusting it. It's the reason why I don't mind planting you know, a little cluster of seeds in each one. Um, when, you, when they germinate and grow, sometimes you'll have some blank cells and I haven't perfected it yet to where I get all the cells germinating. And, and um, so basil is actually pretty hardy. You can prick it out. So you, you might have a cluster of five, sometimes even more than five, and you can get a little knife or pen or something and just poke it in next to the seeds and kind of lever them up and gently pull one of those little seedlings out and transplant it into a cell that didn't have any come up. So I make sure that I fill all my cells because I, you know, I have a certain amount that I want. And so by putting more than one in each, I can you know, spread them out once they've germinated. And I usually do that once I see the true leaves start forming. I don't do it when just the cotyledon leaves. They're too small and too delicate, you might snap them. Do you leave more than one plant? Uh, yes, I do. I do. And I transplant them out like that and I haven't seen any difference between a single or a... Because you're basically growing, you're wanting to just get a big bushy plant, you know, and by having more of them, in the, it's, it's almost like you get there sooner. The foundation for success in, in any of your growing endeavors is in the soil. The, the foundation for our health is in the soil. Everything starts in the soil. If you don't pay attention to your soil and really take care of your soil, then you can put all the best techniques and, and all the hard work and you won't get the results if you don't put your um, effort into preparing the soil. And when I say preparing the soil, I'm talking more than just digging and cultivating. I'm talking about mineral balance. And so we test the soil 
and um, it costs uh, $61 to take a sample and to send it in and get it uh, tested and get recommendations back and we apply everything that's recommended um, and I found that since I started doing that the results are always consistent the plants grow healthy they, they yield well and um, it more than repays you back for the cost of it. And if you want to get, uh, work with someone who can help you with that, Whitmar McConnell is here. Um, he's our consultant and um, he's, he's easy to communicate with by email or telephone if you have any questions. Um, so I highly recommend working with him. We also use ocean minerals. Uh, if you're in an area where you have high sodium levels in your soil, then you don't want to use it. You want to use uh, azomite and kelp products are also very beneficial. So trace minerals help um, the health of the plant. So we also use a root dip for transplanting and this I use on all, everything that I transplant, I use a root dip. And um, it's basically a concoction that I just using logic put together and it works really well. Um, I believe Lord just impressed me with this and um, we use for our nitrogen source, it's Grower's Secret. I believe now it's a 1600, not a 1200. It's very expensive. A 50 pound bag is like $300. Um, we get it kind of wholesale at $200, but um, it goes a long way. Uh, the reason we're using that one is because most of the organic nitrogen sources have phosphorus in them and our soils are high in phosphorus. We don't want to add phosphorus. So you might be able to find a much cheaper source than this. But the beauty of the Grower's Secret um, uh, nitrogen source is that it's soluble and you can feed it through your drip system. And so we do a weekly um, feeding to the plants to keep them growing and energize because nitrogen to plants is like electricity to anything that we you know uh, use electricity for it's energy so um, we use in the in the root dip uh, seaweed extract um, it has root growth hormone um, in it as long as well as other qualities but I'm specifically putting it there to stimulate root growth as soon as they're transplanted and the other thing is mycorrhizae fungi you can buy it in a powder and it's a multi-species um, variety and um, as soon as the the roots are growing it attaches you can even put it into your seedling mix and then you don't have to put it in your root dip but um, I put it in the root dip and the mycorrhizae fungi enables the roots to take up a lot more nutrients, makes them more drought hardy. And um, when we use this root dip, as soon as we transplant the, um, the plants out, I don't, have, I don't see my plants get uh, transplant shock. You don't see them wilted and sitting sad for a few days before they start perking up. Plant them out and they just take off. Um, so it really works. And the other thing that helps is to uh, you have a, you know, a, a, a watering schedule that you're watering them with, I leave off the last watering so they're a little bit dry and my theory, and you know it's a theory, it's not, not something that uh, has been necessarily scientifically proven but I think it works and that is that the plant when it gets a little bit stressed, it's thirsty, when you put it in the ground and it gets water it's like ah, perks up and says thank you, you know, so it, it's not um, it, it adapts better to, to the environment that it's being put into. 
So the mycorrhizae fungi, as I mentioned, it attaches to the roots. It increases its ability to uptake nutrients from a hundred to a thousand times. <clears throat> it communicates through the plants. It has an amazing uh, system that God created. When one plant starts getting attacked by a pest through the mycorrhizae network that, that connects all the roots underground, it warns the other plants and they start putting out chemicals to make themselves undesirable to the pests. So it's an amazing thing that God created. Uh, it aids the production of healthy plants. So I highly recommend it. It's expensive. It goes a long way. You only need one little speck. You don't have to put a lot on each plant. It's a very tiny amount. So we bought a bag. Um, I'm going to say probably four or five years, five seasons it's lasted. It was, I, I think it was 20 pounds. It could have been 30 pounds. It cost $300 when I bought it, but it's lasted all that time. Buying things in bulk quantity is a lot cheaper. As soon as you buy, you go to your gardening store and you'll buy a little wee tiny thing of mycorrhizae fungi, they'll charge you $50. And, you know, this big bag gives you many, many times more. So if you're a home gardener, try to get together with a bunch of home gardeners and buy bulk, you know, because it brings your cost down tremendously. Um, so the plant spacing. I apologize, I don't have good photos of, the, of our growing uh, of sweet basil because I was asked last year to teach this class and um, last year was a sabbatical year so I couldn't take photos during the season to, to use in the class and I'm not much of a photo taker I'm usually too busy to think about taking <coughs> pictures but somebody um, sent me this picture so that's why I'm using it they said hey there's some deer in your greenhouse <laughs> so I, I have a picture of our basil growing there <laughs> um, so you can see there, I've got a four foot wide bed and it's got, um, it's just a raised bed, about six inches redwood um, that's, um, <clears throat> we made up a soil mix that's got uh, sand, compost, um, worm castings and uh, 711 is a, a fertilizer that is um, fermented corn or a byproduct of fermented corn. Um, and then we, we had that tested and amended to put all the minerals in it. I think it had a bit more lime and, and some trace minerals in it. Um, so that's what we put in there. And then, of course, underneath that was just a, a red clay. And what I've found that works really well, we get a, a, a fork. We actually made some forks that have long tines on them and go down and loosen the soil down deep and so their roots can go down deep. They, liked, they like that. And I found that um, sweet basil likes lots of water too. Um, they produce well when they're getting watered well. I don't have any problem with diseases, hardly any problems with pests. A couple of times I've had pests and I'll, I'll tell you about that later. But taking care of the soil health, people ask me questions all the time. What do you do about this disease? What do you do about this pest? I don't have experience in it because I believe because the soil is producing healthy plants, the plants have their own immune system and their defense system and I just don't have issues with, with these things hardly at all. I do with uh, sometimes with aphids, not on the basil. The basil doesn't have aphid problems for me. Um, but anyway, as you transplant them out, I think I put there, the spacing that I use is 8 inches apart and I'm trying to grow them densely close together 
the theory behind it is I want to force vertical growth. I want them to be going up. I don't want them bushing out. I'm trying to bunch them. And so by keeping them close, confined together, they're growing more vertical. And um, the other beauty of that is that once they form that nice hedge, there's no weeds coming up because you've blocked out the light. And I like that. Um, so eight inches apart between the rows and in the rows is what we do. And um, then in between each one of those rows, I have a drip tape um, for watering. And I only irrigate them once a day. Um, and, you know, depending on your soil type, I can't make recommendations of how much water. But in the soil mix that we have, which would be pretty similar to a sandy loam or a sandy soil, um, we're doing, depends on the temperature in the day. Um, I would say it's somewhere around an hour of water through the drip tape. And then that depends on the rate of, um, that your drip tape drips. Um, ours is a low rate. Uh, I think it's about a quarter an hour. So, but the drip tape are close together. They're eight inches. So there's a lot of water going on there in that hour. Um, I recommend using, if you're going to be farming this, use a tensiometer to determine the amount of water and, and the frequency. And I'll, I'll share a little bit about that. You can get two types of tensiometers from a company called Irometer. And um, this one's an electronic one. It's a little bit more expensive. If you're farming, I recommend getting this. I started off with a cheaper mechanical one that is uh, $80. Um, you can get them in various depths. Um, I think there's a six inch all the way down to more than three feet. Um, and for the basil, I think probably one that's um, <clears throat> six or eight inches or something like that, no more than a foot long. Um, and anyway, with this, you bury the, the sensor down at the depth, um, at least six inches down, I would put it. And then you get a reading. And if you buy the thing, it'll have all the instructions. So I won't go into the detail for the sake of time. But you can very accurately monitor the water and, and give it the frequency and the amount that it needs. And then you don't have issues. If you just go by your own judgment, sometimes it can be very wet on the surface and, and dry underneath. Um, so uh, you might not be giving them all that they need. So this uh, helps you zero it in very accurately. I mentioned before that we fertilize on a weekly basis <clears throat> through the drip irrigation. The main things that we are feeding through are um, nitrogen and potassium. I'm not sure that the potassium is really necessary. The reason why they are getting it is because um, if you saw the picture, that I showed you before, I mean that one there, the greenhouses have tomatoes and cucumbers in and they're on the same irrigation system so when they get there, when I'm feeding the cucumbers and tomatoes, they get the same dose. So it might be more than what they need, um, but it's still, they're still producing well. So, um, And then the other thing that we put through <coughs> uh, is the C90 through the um, drip tape. It does dissolve in water. Um, this is what I would recommend using. Um, you can get more expensive <coughs> fertilizer feeders and um, this one is going to be an entry level and it works really well. It's called a Marzi injector. I got mine from a company called robertmarvel.com um, <coughs> and you can see the prices for the different diameters there. 
The lowest price, $110, and the three inches, $345. You won't need that for basil. The three-quarter or one inch will be plenty for the basil. And then you can inject whatever you need. So the pests and diseases. This information I got off the website because you may have some pests and disease issues that I don't have. I don't, I really don't. I don't spray them. I don't have to do anything. Um, except there was one time when I was growing them out in the field, um, we have to terrace because we're on a, on a hill, quite a steep hillside. And um, so you have a flat area on the terrace and then the bank. And in the bank, you've got weeds and grass and everything growing. And, and then the, the, the terrace is cultivated. So I had my basil growing along the edge of the terrace. And um, I sent a student out to weed eat the bank. And guess what was in the bank? It was some grasshoppers. And of course, they lost their habitat and food and they moved straight into the basil and started chewing on them. And so that harvest that um, we, we took next was very low because we had a lot of leaves that were eaten. But they didn't like the basil, so they moved on. So we didn't lose our crop. <clears throat> so that was um, the only pest issues. What I found that late in the season, just when the weather's cooling off, um, I start getting a little bit of white fly, I think it is. I haven't even identified them, but it looks to me like a white fly that starts chewing on them a little bit. But it hasn't um, cosmetically changed them. I see them buzzing around, but I can't really see much in the way of damage on them. So I don't do anything about them. And it's in the period of time when they're starting to lose their quality as the temperature's going down. The flavor changes as the temperature goes down. So um, these... Uh, what's listed there is what a university website had as the different disease issues. <clears throat> um, but just take note of the bottom one, Cornell, uh, plantclinic.cornell.edu forward slash uh, fact sheets forward slash basildiseases.pdf and there you can read all about it if you want to do that. So um, I have a short little video here um, that uh, there was a, a guy that came up to the farm and very friendly guy and he said, hey, I'd like to take a video. Um, what, what could I video? And I said, um, why don't we video the basil? And so it was very impromptu and he was just there as an amateur and, uh, he, and then he sent me what he videoed and so this is it and so you'll get a... But you can see the main stem and you can see the leaves. The way the plant grows is in between the leaves and the stem, they put out two more stems. And so when you're bunching, you need to have long stems. You really need long stems. If you don't have long stems, you can't make bunches because the, if it, with a short stem, you're trying to put a rubber band on and with the leaves there, they just want to come off and the bunches fall apart. So I'm usually looking for nearly three inches in stem length to, to bunch. That's why I grow them close together because it forces more upward growth. And um, so when you cut, you can see here where the two side shoots are starting. You cut just above that, you've got stem length that you can bunch with. And, and when you cut one, it was replaced with two. So when you start with a young plant, you would cut one and when it's, when it's a small plant, it'll bush out, and every time you cut, it just keeps bushing and bushing. And so by the, you know, at a certain part in the season, it's just like a big, thick hedge. And 
I try to um, manage it in a way that we don't overplant. That's a big mistake. If you overplant, they start putting on flowers and you can't keep up. And once they start hormonally changing to put on seed, then they, the taste is, is no, no good and people won't buy it. So more than you can sell. So basically you want to be harvesting and keeping it in check from going to that seed stage. So if you can keep cutting it, if it does start putting on, you know, if you see white starting to show, you need to cut that out immediately because if you don't, it's gonna, the flavor's gonna change, the leaves get small, the smell changes, yes. It'll keep growing and basically if you cut that off and you're not ready to harvest the rest of it, you can come back when you are ready and cut that stalk, you know. But um, so that preserves it. But if you didn't, they grow very fast. So once you start seeing that flower, if you don't nip it pretty quick in a few days, it's going to be changing. And so, yeah, that's the reason for that. So you can see on this one, what you see here with the leaves and these two side shoots, I cut it at the next juncture because as they keep growing, they put two leaves out. And so you want, you know, for your bunches, the bunch that I showed on there was a, was a bit smaller than what we actually do. It's probably 50% bigger than we normally bunch. Um, but um, so that's, that's a good specimen there as far as length. Um, and the technique that, that I use and I train my workers is I take that stem and you can see my hand here. I put it upside down and I use these two fingers to hold. So every time I can keep using these to hold, cut, and then put it under here. And so you're continually being able to hold it until you've got enough for a bunch. I put rubber bands around my wrist and so I can take that off and put the rubber band on really quickly and, and bunch them. And then you just want the end of your stalks to be even and then you just trim them off if they're a little bit uneven. How many stalks um, do you put in a bunch? I, I don't do it by stalk, it's by diameter. by diameter. Because sometimes you'll have thinner and sometimes thicker stalks, so um, yeah, it depends on that. So um, once it's bunched, we actually, um, Pam's going to get the, the tub that we use, and I have many of them. Um, thank you. Um, so the tub is a Rubbermaid, it's about this size. You're probably familiar with them, Home Depot sells them. I get the shallow one, it's about more than eight inches, maybe nine inches deep. And um, so I want to make my bunches short enough that I can put a lid on because when I'm delivering, I'm stacking them high and I put them in the back of the van and, and, and you know, stack multiple. So I get 15 bunches into a um, tub and I'm, as I'm harvesting, I put three across the width and then five this way. And that way you don't have to go back and try to, because once they're in there, you can't see, you can't tell how many bunches you've got because it's just all the same. And so by doing the rows and counting the rows, get 15 in there. Uh, five rows of three, if, you know, a three across the width. We typically do it first thing in the morning. It's not like lettuce. It's not going to wilt like lettuce. The, the key is getting it into water right away. So when, a, when the tub comes in, the reason why we use the tub is we can put about two inches or inch and a half of water in the bottom of the tub. It's got chicken wire, one inch diameter chicken wire. Um, and I bend the edges of it down so that it just sits above the water. And I put the bunches in, the stems are in the water but not the leaves. And so it's like when you have cut flowers and you put them in a vase and they sit on your table for a week or whatever, um, I find that the basil lasts for about um, at least two weeks 
And if it stays in water for very long, you'll, you'll notice basil start put, putting out roots. And you can actually take those, um, if you want to multiply your basil that way, you can put them in water, let the roots start, and then put them in soil, and they'll grow into plants. So I've seen someone do that. But the diameter of stems, I'm looking for about three quarters of an inch. I want them to fit into the one inch circle of the um, chicken mesh very easily. You don't want it to be tight when you're putting it in there. The reason for that is the supermarket, some of them that we supply, just take the tub and put it out and the customers pull them out. And when they pull them out, oh, that one there looks bigger. So they drop it and, and they don't put it back in the water um, and they take the one next to it. So if it's small enough, it might make its way back into the water. And if it doesn't stay in water for you know an hour or two, it's going to start looking limp. Um, so one of the things I, to improve it in the future, I'd like to get some stainless steel mesh that's probably square and has uh, maybe inch and a half size. That way, if a customer drops it, it goes back in the water easier. Because um, that's the only complaint I've heard from the supermarkets about the basil is, is that sometimes they lose a bunch because a customer didn't put it back in the water. So let's see if we can finish this. So um, I don't know if you saw what I was using, the tool. It's a Corona um, is the brand. They're little snips. They've got just, I don't know, they're probably not more than two inches, maybe inch and a half little. I, I like them better than the long ones. Um, and they, they're sharp and they last for a long time. You've got to be careful you don't cut yourself because I've, had, I've done it myself and some of my students have nipped into their finger and put a nice cut in it. So um, don't let the, the flowers form. You, you've got to, got to stop that. And if you, if you can prevent them from you know, putting their energy, because they hormonally change once they start doing that, and, and then it's over. Uh, the, the taste becomes kind of astringent. So the question, so I'm supposed to repeat questions for Audioverse. The question was, if you're growing it in, in your home, um, do you need to, same principle, same principle of counting, cut, cutting off the flowers, and that's correct. So um, harvesting time, um, this crop, for harvest time, it's not on the high end. Cucumbers for us are on the high end of um, uh, return for, for the amount of time in harvesting. But cucumbers, you know, are a short, shorter season and so on. With the basil, we planted out uh, probably in April and we're harvesting almost to the beginning or even sometimes a little bit into October. So we have about five months of harvesting um, and it depends on where you're located as to how long you're going to be able to do that. On the same bushes. Same bushes, just ongoing, yeah. And, and they get pretty big and by the time we rip them out, they've got stems, wow. three quarters of an inch, some of them on them. <coughs> so a slow worker does about one tub, which is 15 bunches in an hour. Um, I'm not real happy with that, but if, as long as they can do that, in fact, I kind of use it when I have uh, students say, can I work for you? Yeah, I'll, I'm happy to work for you, uh, you to work, but I need to see if you can keep up with what the minimum requirement is. So I say, here, I teach them how, and I give them you know, a, a half day of work, and by the end of half a day, if they're not able to meet the minimum, then I say, I'm sorry, I can't hire you. Um, so. Um, but most of them can do that, and my best worker was able to do 45, um, three tubs an hour. So um, some, some people are really good with their fingers and fast. Um, I'm, I'm probably an average, actually. I can't keep up with my fastest student.
So the question is, do I wash it? No, I don't wash it. Mine doesn't get dirty. I guess if it was in a place where there was dust, then I would probably rinse it. I might even use a hose before I harvested it or something like that. I, I don't cool it. Now, remember I said that it's, it's heat loving. So um, when it's harvested, we put it in the water and I just actually put it in the shed and where it's shaded from the sun and but it's still going to be in the daytime temperature it can be 80 or 90 degrees in the in the shed sometimes as much as 100. Um, I don't keep it for long I want to get it fresh but we typically will harvest it a day or two before delivery. Um, so this is the tub and you can see that I've put some holes in the side of it drilled they're about um, one inch or one and a quarter inch size holes so that it can breathe. That's important that it breathes. I'll put it on there, is that all right? <laughs> and then you can see the chicken wire. Just cut it to the, so it fits inside. You don't want it to be tight, you want it to be loose inside. And just fold down the edges. And then when I fill the water up, I don't want the water above the wire. I want it to be below the wire because you don't want your leaves sitting in water because if the leaves sit in water, they'll go black and, and uh, won't look so pretty. So you're welcome to come and look at that. Um, afterwards and take some pictures. So for marketing, um, fresh basil is an excellent door opener as I mentioned before. It just, uh, no one else is supplying basil like this, fresh bunch. When the, when the customers come, they smell it and they just can't resist buying it because it's, it's very appealing. And um, so that the supermarkets want to buy it because no one else is doing it. And once they see that it's selling well and they, they really like it, then they start saying, well, what else do you have? And, you know, it opens the door. When you're starting to farm uh, and there's other farms that have seniority, it's really hard to break into the market. This is one way that you can get a foot in the door and, and start getting other products in. Um, some ideas for helping with marketing. If people know how to use it, like recipe cards, suggestions, um, that will also uh, stimulate them to want to buy. Um, and then educating them what to do with it when they get it home. So, you know, if you're able to have somebody be in the supermarket with a little display or something and tell the customers, take the bunch home, put it in a cup of water or a vase, it will keep and, you know, then they don't have to use it right away. Um, the ones, there's, there's one store we supply and they're a big store, they should be able to sell a lot of it, but uh, for some reason, it's just the way they do it, they take them all out of the water and they pull them out and they put a plastic wrap around them and put them out like that. They only sell maybe two tubs of basil a week. An equivalent store that leaves it in and, and people come and see it fresh, they would probably do four times that in sales. So, but I haven't been able to get them to leave it in the water. Um, so here's one of the stores that we supply. They actually had a display and they just picked out the, the whole, you know, uh, 15 bunches and just sat it in water in the display that they already had. And this was a smaller store than the other one that I said, you know, bought only a small amount. And they were doing, I think, at least six, six tubs a week. Um, so you're probably wondering about price. We started out a few years ago, $1.50 a bunch, uh, where last 
time we were selling, not last year because we were on sabbatical, but the year before, um, we was we pushed it up to two dollars. I can't, I don't think I went over two dollars. Every year I've been increasing it because the demand is so high. You know, it's a sub supply demand thing. If they really want it, they'll pay more for it, and I just you know add ten percent or something on, and so it, it wholesale. Yeah, we do we wholesale, and um, they they didn't at the sorry. Yeah, wholesale, $2 a bunch, and they sell it. They've been selling it from the beginning. They were selling it at $3 a bunch, and even when I pushed the price to $2, they kept selling it at $3, and they didn't even squeal at me about pushing it up to $2. Yeah, so um, there you can see those are short bunches in that tub. You know, sometimes when I'm putting the lid on, the leaves are touching the bottom of the lid, and that's okay. Uh, it doesn't seem to harm them. Uh, what I will say about the water that you put in the tub um, we have ditch water for our irrigation that is untreated. Uh, we were putting that water into there, but um, we did have some complaints about um, some of the bunches going bad. And when the tubs come back, this tub here you can see I haven't washed it. Inside you can see some uh, little bit of dirt around there. What we do is once they come back we wash it every time and we use treated water. Uh, city water which has chlorine in um, if you don't have access to that you can add a treatment into your water and then it prevents anything going bad uh, but it, for a long time we were just putting the straight irrigation water in there for um, and we had most of the stores had no issues because it was selling so fast um, but it, I think for food safety treated water is what you need to do um, I, ha I think I had two varieties that year, Genovese and Nufar. Um, so, and I couldn't tell the difference, they looked the same to me. So, the question was, can you use distilled vinegar? I believe you can, but I'm not experienced in it. So, um, yeah. so storage, we just talked a little bit about storage. It, because it likes heat, don't store it ideally under 55 degrees. Some supermarkets that weren't familiar with it, and I did, was unaware of it, they would put these into the cooler and then they would tell me they were going bad. Um, so actually refrigerating them is harmful. Um, so room temperature is, they're very happy at room temperature. What we're comfortable with, they're comfortable with. So um, you want to allow them to breathe. Um, I think the rest I have already mentioned about cleaning the tubs. Yeah, definitely tell them not to put them in the refrigerator. Um, that's been the main cause of loss for people putting them in the refrigerator. I, uh, before I deliver them, no. I don't put the lids on, but when I'm delivering, I put the lid on, stack them, and when I get them there, a lot of the places actually leave them in with lids on. It's better not, but that's a space issue for them. One of the co-ops that buys, like they bought $10,000 worth off one, in 2017 from us over the season, they have a space issue. So they, they have these little boards with casters on the bottom and they would put these on and stack them up you know about this high and then to keep them you know kind of stable they wrap plastic around and then they complained that they were losing some of the bunches or so I said well you, they've got to breathe you've blocked all the holes you know yeah. but they would you know store them like that see-through yes um, you can use a see-through tub in fact they the, the co-op that um, that I was just mentioning that sells a lot of it they wanted me to provide display, you know, go to the expense of, of doing that, which I haven't done. <clears throat> um, but that's 
just you know they really should be taking care of that and maybe you know transferring the the wire into something but if yeah not not quite maybe 10 inches deep the tub um, it's a standard tub these are about eight dollars each at Home Depot um, so they're fairly inexpensive um, so here's the recipe that I mentioned to you this is a really nice drink and it's a lemonade basil lemonade um, no sugar just basil for sweetener and um, so it has uh, you put in a high-speed blender three cups of water one and a half lemons peeled and seeded uh, half cup of fresh basil leaves one cup of ice cubes and blend until smooth and it is amazing so uh, that's a recipe you can give to your customers and if they love it they'll be buying more from you so here's a, a graph um, I don't mind sharing financial figures because they're real to life and you know it shows what's what's possible you can see we started in 2012 um, growing them and that was my first year very inexperienced I didn't have a, I, I was yeah I was growing them in pots and it, it was not a good year um, but each year I kept learning and the market kept increasing the demand until uh, 2017 that was the sixth year before we took a sabbatical and the Lord blessed and doubled our income in that year um, and so you can see it took a jump um, up to twenty thousand dollars worth of basil in that year so um, that's, gross. that's gross yeah that's that's sales yeah um, it's it's a biblical sabbatical if you see in the Bible the the instruction that God gave was rest the land every seventh year and so we decided to do that and I could have rotated portions of the land but I decided to I thought that the design of God was to prevent farmer burnout and have opportunities for other things so I took the whole year out off and um, going back in this year we're going to be starting planting again when I get back but the Lord blessed because he doubled our income in the, in the sixth year and so I had enough income to carry through this last year and I didn't have to you know to so you work were able for to stay there and no I went into, I went to Africa did mission work in Africa and um, yeah, did a, 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 worked on the farm with some infrastructure things, planted another couple hundred fruit trees and you know, just stuff that didn't bring an in income but, and, and extended the shed, you know, so I had other projects like that. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the last slide. What varieties? Um, you want the large leaf, but you want to check that your large leaf are long stems. That's why going to the Johnny's um, charts that have the varieties you want to look for long stems but I believe the Genovese large leaf uh, Nufa seem to work out all right yes the Thai basil we, we grew it and it, it's not popular it doesn't sell a lot and I yeah it, it's nice it's pretty but it didn't sell well so I just discontinued it um, percentage wise compared with the rest I don't even know if we sold less than five percent you know it just it really wasn't worth it because the efficient way to do it is in a full tub and stores would only want three bunches or five bunches and you know when you don't have efficiency it's not worth trying to do it because you put a, your time is valuable and if you start spending a lot of time for a small amount um, you lose your ability to earn a living do we market to so the co-op is, is the biggest buyer um, co-ops 
people want to buy from co-ops because it's, um, you know, you're getting local, trustworthy food, and so they How want. Uh, it's about um, t close to 20 miles from us, um, so it takes 30 minutes to drive there. We we operate within a 25-mile radius, so we have two delivery routes. We supply about 14 different stores or restaurants. Some of them are fast food places. Um, and the minimum order is one tub. As long as they buy one tub, that's fine. We'll drop it off, $30 for a tub. And then when we come to deliver next time, they return the empty tub. And um, so you can keep turning them over. You've got to chase them to get your tubs back, though. Um, so twice a week, but I do a rotation. So I, I separate my crop into two halves. So the, the plants are only getting um, harvested once a week. So I do one half at uh, the beginning of the week and the end of the week I do the other half. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.